Hi guys, how's it going? This is Connor. I am your host. This is Money and Plants. This is the podcast where I get to speak about some of the really big topics that affect your life and my life. The whole idea, the reason I make the content, the reason I put so much effort into this project is because I'm trying to educate, empower, and dare I say it, maybe even inspire some of you guys to make better choices in your own life. On the 1st of May, a few weeks ago, I had my old friend Nick Leeson, the Rogue Trader, on the podcast, and me and him were talking about Bitcoin. And to be fair, and we said this on the podcast, we kind of don't really know much about Bitcoin. Nick introduced himself as a Bitcoin dummy. However, he's not really a Bitcoin dummy. This is one of the cleverest guys I know. He's one of the most highly sought after speakers on the financial markets right across the world. He's been trading for over 30 years. He understands the markets. He gets all of this stuff. But he's very sceptical and very concerned about cryptocurrency. He's very sceptical and very concerned about Bitcoin. And in that podcast, which I thought was really interesting, and I really, really enjoyed the conversation I had with Nick, and I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, maybe listen to it again, or listen to it after you listen to this podcast. But some of the stuff... And some of the concerns that Nick was raising in that podcast, I think are very valid. However, what I always wanted to do was, I wanted to balance it up a bit. Because the whole idea of this show is, I mean, I don't know much about Bitcoin. Um, I'm really committed to personal development. I'm interested in in developing my own skills in financial literacy. And I really believe passionately that people should always try and increase their understanding of money and finance, right? And what I always wanted to do was to try and maybe do another podcast with someone else who actually is a crypto expert, who is a Bitcoin advocate, who's investing in this technology, who is writing algorithms. Imagine I could find someone who was doing all of these things. And actually, I've got a special episode coming up here. I've got a special conversation because it was Nick actually who introduced me to Rodrigo Benadon. Rodrigo Rod is someone who I've been speaking to for the last number of weeks. And he's a super interesting guy. He owns a company called Moonquant Capital. Check them out. Moonquant.capital. Check them out. And Rod has been working in Bitcoin and crypto for the last nine years. And what's coming up now is an incredible conversation. And it's actually at the opposite end of the spectrum from where Nick's position is. Nick is someone who's extremely sceptical about Bitcoin and crypto. Rod is someone who totally believes in Bitcoin and crypto. He's an investment fund manager and that's all they do is invest in crypto, invest in Bitcoin. So without any further ado, what I think I would like to do is I would like to play the conversation, play you the tape. And before I do this, I'm actually speaking to Rod. He's in Miami. He lives in Buenos Aires. That's where he's from, Argentina. He's been building businesses in South America for the last 20 years. But I got him in Miami because he's at a cryptocurrency conference this week. And that's where he made the time to speak to me. And we had a wonderful conversation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the tape, listen to Rod and my conversation, and then I'll do a sum up at the end. And I'll catch you guys then. Let's roll the tape. Get a pen and paper ready. I hope you enjoy it. Let's do it. Do you own your own business? And how has the pandemic affected your business? Maybe you're fortunate enough in that the business is going really well. Interestingly, one of the impacts of the pandemic is that some businesses are actually doing much better now than they were last year. However, unfortunately, for many business owners, the opposite has happened. And many businesses are now under serious pressure from creditors, from banks, and they are concerned about what the next few months holds for them. If that's you, if that relates to you, then you need to get in touch with the GDP Partnerships Pandemic Recovery Team. This year, GDP set up the Pandemic Recovery Team to help 100 businesses survive and thrive as we get to the end of this year. www.gdp.com ni.com check out their linkedin page facebook and twitter but if you're a business owner and you need some help 
get in touch with GDP Partnership. Hey Rod, good afternoon. I think it's good morning with you. I believe you are in Miami. How are you? And you're very welcome to Money and Plants. Thank you for having me, Connor. I am indeed in, in the US, even though I live um, in Argentina, where I'm originally from. Yeah, so just before we get stuck into the, the main topic today, which is obviously Bitcoin and crypto, you're in Miami actually for a, is it a crypto Bitcoin conference? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there is, there is a big Bitcoin conference in Miami on uh, June 3rd and 4th, I think. And uh, it's going to be quite interesting. There's a big gathering of Bitcoin rock stars and luminaries. So I'm excited. Sounds good. Well, look, Rod, I want to get into this because, I mean, over the last couple of months in particular, uh, the, the interest in, in Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency is, is really through the roof in Europe and in the UK and Ireland. And one of the things I do want to talk about in a few minutes' time is the impact of social media on Bitcoin and crypto, right? Because I think it's playing a real, it's having a real impact uh, within that, that industry. And before we get into that, do you want to give me a little background on yourself and your company, MoonQuant Capital? Absolutely. Well, in terms of my background, uh, it's a little bit eclectic. I did a lot of different things in my life. Uh, started technology companies as an entrepreneur. I'm a graphic designer, formally trained. And uh, I'm also a, a um, experienced trader. I used to trade gold and the Dow, uh, oil and, and commodity futures, which is my specialty. And in 2012, reading an article, I started reading about Bitcoin. I didn't understand what they were talking about, but I saw a chart and I saw that there was a price and I read that it was technology and it was money, but it behaved like a commodity and it could be traded. And the chart looked like something that could be traded. And, uh, you know, I went deep into the rabbit hole and, and uh, I'm still fascinating, fascinated about um, the potential of this new technology. And then uh, last year with my partner, we, we uh, established uh, MoonQuant Capital. We started doing uh, trading signals, algorithmic trading signals to rebalance portfolios. And we have a bunch of different strategies and eventually we graduated to a full-fledged um, crypto fund. Okay, and, and that is MoonQuant Capital. So within MoonQuant Cap Capital, have you got a range of investors then and do you act on their behalf in terms of their investments into crypto is that the whole idea that's right we are fund managers and um, we've developed different types of products some are subscription based where investors basically subscribe to signals and uh, they connect those signals to their accounts in um in the exchanges where they have where they have established accounts and we basically just fire out buy, sell, hold uh, signals. And uh, for those investors that are willing to invest a little more, then we provide, um, you know, like a traditional fund, you invest money with us and, uh, and we manage, uh, actively ma manage a portfolio. All crypto, right? Only crypto. Okay, excellent. And can you tell me then, Rod, how, how many forms of crypto is currently in the marketplace? Like, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, a sort of a crypto dummy, like I know very little about it. I'm interested, in, I'm, I'm a financial sort of analyst, I suppose I'm interested in money and finance and financial literacy. And I've, I've really got interested in crypto only in the last couple of months because everyone else seems to be talking about it. So how many forms of crypto is out there right now being traded? Um, it's an interesting question, Connor, because there are thousands of crypto assets. However, I think it's important for, for you and your listeners and, and everybody at large to understand where are the drivers that make some cryptos different than others and, and why Bitcoin, for instance, is the king of, of crypto. And, uh, and that's the key, right, to answer this question uh, properly. Of course, there are hundreds, but there are some criteria, at least in my opinion, that separate a few from, from everybody else a few of crypto assets from, from all the other ones. And, and those, those differences are in fact why Bitcoin is so special. 
but uh, you know, it takes about an hour to to start firing whole cylinders and understand why why Bitcoin and, and maybe a few others are are special and different and and uh, different people react and accept and approach the Bitcoin innovation from from different angles. Um, some people from from a money perspective as an analyst or an investor. Others are more interested uh, on the technology and understand it um, from a technical uh, standpoint. So if, if you want, uh, we, we can discuss why Bitcoin is, is so interesting. Um, and again, Bitcoin is hard to, to, to define. Uh, we can try to describe it, and, but unpacking it really takes a long time. You know, I've been doing this for a while and, and studying it for a while, and it just keeps becoming more, more and more surprising because as a technology, it's alive, right? It's growing. There are a bunch of contributors and around the world making it better and the communities. And you were mentioning um, what's happening in social media, and that's definitely a very large component of how, how the community and how Bitcoiners or crypto enthusiasts um, Keep, keep in touch and understand what's going on and, and communicate and, and criticize and, um, and share news, right? Okay, well, I think what, what I would really like to do for this- If, if you want, if you- yeah. I think what I would really like to do for this conversation is to, I suppose, to try and keep it uh, as simple as possible for my listeners because I think most people actually, once you lift the bonnet on money, they don't actually understand money. They don't understand where money comes from and how money's created, right? So if, if most people don't understand uh, money, then I would suggest that most people definitely don't understand Bitcoin. But is there a simple way, and I don't want to water it down, the complexity and um, I suppose the attractiveness of, of Bitcoin, but are we saying, Rod, that Bitcoin is actually, it is a technology? Is that what we're saying? And if it's a technology, is it a technology and is it also money? Because I see in the last few days on Twitter, some really well-known economists, and I have been commenting on the threads, mostly based in the US, where they're having this argument, the Odd Lots podcast, the guy who hosts that about, he, he called Bitcoin money. And he was corrected by some of the leading uh, academics in America are saying, look, it's not money. I don't, I, I don't understand why you're referring to it as money. So look, two things. Is it fair to say it's a technology and is it fair to call it money? Well, uh, so it's a little bit confusing because the word Bitcoin refers to three different things. So the first thing is a software. It's Bitcoin is a protocol. It's an innovation. It's a technical innovation. So it's software and people accept that technology exists, that innovations, innovations happen. And as such, you know, this is indisputable. Bitcoin is a technological breakthrough. It solves a problem, a computer science problem uh, that hadn't been uh, solved before. And in 2009, somebody solved it finally. So yes, Bitcoin is software, it's an innovation, it's a technology, it's a protocol. So that's the first thing that Bitcoin refers to. The second thing, is that Bitcoin is a network of computers uh, linked all around the world and it's open to anybody who wants to join. So it's a completely transparent network, open source. The software is open source, meaning anybody can download it and take a look at what it does and how it does it. Anybody can use it and join it. There, is no, there are no patents or anything like that. So it's completely open. It's a free idea for anybody in the world. And I think people also don't have a problem accepting that there is a network of computers that run a software protocol called Bitcoin and the network is called Bitcoin. But Bitcoin also refers to a unit of account um, and, and some might call it money, I call it money, uh, and some people might object because money, you know, from what I've read, for something to become money, it needs to go through certain stages. And those stages are, you know, the, the lines are gray. Um, but, you know, if, if we start to discuss and get into exactly what is money, 
Uh, I think a lot of people will agree that Bitcoin fits that description because it is something that is scarce. And that's probably one of the most important as aspects of Bitcoin. It's something that is fungible. In other words, if I pay you with a $20 bill and you pay me back with a different $20 bill, well, I don't care. A $20 bill is a $20 bill, even if it's not the same one that I gave you. So Bitcoin works like that. Um, but Bitcoin has incredible characteristics that make it even better than money. It's digital money that becomes faster, more reliable than any other form of money we have ever seen. And that's why some people may have a problem accepting it because in, in some respects, it doesn't work like regular money, money that you and I used to go to the grocery store or put in our bank accounts. Bitcoin is much, much better. Just to give you a few, a few little tidbits or, or uh, phrases that I think resonate, at least resonated with me. Um, Bitcoin is the world's most secure database. So if you, you know, all of these things might require a, a longer explanation and we can discuss them forever, but, but these, are, these are statements that, that, um, that I think should raise some eyebrows. And, and some of these are not, not opinions. These are, these are facts, right? Uh, with Bitcoin, there are no owners, no single party is in control. I mean, compare that to regular fiat money, where of course there is a government behind issuing, issuing that money. So Bitcoin works independently of governments or, or companies or monopolies or mafias. Uh, Bitcoin cannot be stopped or banned or hacked or, or influenced in any way. Bitcoin is completely indestructible. This is the very first time, you know, I feel comfortable saying these phrases, even though they sound very grandiose, but I, I think that they're true and they have been proven since, since Bitcoin was invented. Uh, Bitcoin is also interesting because it, it's a completely transparent system that is open to anybody. And this is not true of everything else, right? Um, and, it's, and it's open to anybody regardless of where they come from, of their social uh, status or economic position or geography or religious affiliation or whatever. Um, Bitcoin is the world's most reliable financial ledger. It's also a cash payment network. In other words, you can settle transactions without anybody being a middleman, right? There is no visa, no bank accounts, no American Express, no SWIFT system. You're just settling payments peer to peer. So in that sense, it's not only money. Bitcoin is a global monetary system and it's the best one we've ever seen. Bitcoin is also the world's largest public service. Just think about it for a second. There is no Bitcoin company. There is no Bitcoin lawyer or marketing department or patents of any kind. It's just a public service. It's an idea that is working for anybody to join. So is it money? Well, it is money in the sense that we can settle payments with each other. We can, it's a, it's a, we can, we can save our money in Bitcoin. Like if I were to leave or think about leaving an inheritance, not to my children, but to my great, great grandchildren to come a hundred years in the future. You know, I don't know if I would leave them dollars or Argentine pesos or, or even gold, stuff that can be confiscated or just printed. Like, you know, countries like Argentina, Venezuela, Iran, Zimbabwe, you know, these are all third world countries, clearly with third world monetary systems. But we have seen what inflation does to, to money. And, and the interesting thing about Bitcoin, one of the many, is that it, there is a capped amount of Bitcoins that will ever be in existence. There will only be 21 million Bitcoin, period. And this is, this is governed by math, by a protocol, and it cannot be changed. And this is something that cannot be said for any monetary system in the world, because because economies and governments and, and monetary systems are very fragile, right? And, and they're subject to politics and, and a global economy, which is complicated uh, to say the least. 
and uh, and Bitcoin doesn't doesn't care about any of these things, right? It's autonomous. It's self-governing. It's uh, automatic, and uh, and it's based on math, and it cannot be influenced or bought or coerced. Okay. Well, look. Uh, another way to think about it is that Bitcoin is a computational network, right? And it's the largest one in the world, and it's the first of its class, and it's unique in every way. Okay, well, let, let me just, you've, you've said some really big things there, Rod, and I, I, it's a fascinating conversation and your, your insight into this is, is phenomenal. And it's, it's just really interesting for, for me because you, you clearly understand this. You've been working in, in crypto and Bitcoin for eight to nine years and you've said some big, big statements like completely indestructible. The system is, is transparent. It's the most reliable cash register. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to challenge any of that, really, to be honest with you, because my understanding of it isn't at such a level that I'm in a position to. But what I would prefer to do uh, now is what I, I want to ask you, what do you see as the main challenges to Bitcoin and crypto then over the next five years? Because if we buy into what you have said, and, and you may be correct, and time will tell over the next 10 to 20 years. Um, I'm certainly someone who is coming around to the idea from, of, of, of the potential of this and where the money markets are going, the disruption that crypto is playing right now. So what, what in your view, is the challenges then to, to Bitcoin and crypto? If, if, you could, if you had three or four items that, that you would be concerned about, what would they be? I am not concerned. I think Bitcoin is clearly, Bitcoin and maybe other cryptocurrencies as well are going to be clear winners. And I think the reason adoption is driven by understanding and people um, don't have the mental bandwidth to sit down. Like you said, people don't understand how money works and yet the world works and our relationships are defined by our transactions and uh, and how we how we communicate and how how we live our lives, uh, money is a, it's central to all of that. So if people don't jump to conclusions, I mean, I'm talking about Bitcoin and I see this all the time and I go into all of these, all of these uh, phrases and, and big statements and people, you, you see people's eyes getting glassed, uh, you know, glassy eyed and, and they stop paying attention because they think, well, you know, so yeah, so it's money, so it's digital. It's like sending an email. It makes sense because our lives are digital today. And they say, you know what? I understood everything that I needed to understand and let's move on. And I think that's the wrong approach. It's true that we don't have the, the, the attention span and we jump to conclusions really quickly. I think it would be very beneficial for someone to sit down for at least an hour to understand what are the pillars of of this new technology and why you should be paying attention and why you should understand what it does, how it does it, how it's different from what we've been doing um, until now. And I think that's the main challenge, that people don't pay attention. The moment, so people pay, they start to gradually pay attention until one day it's gonna be really sudden, right? Bitcoin is just gonna impact our lives in a tremendous way. Um, money is being debased at incredible, extraordinary levels and rates. I mean, in the US um, and also in Europe, they're printing trillions of dollars uh, to, to buy ourselves out of a crisis, uh, lots of different crises are, around the world. And, and we're going to pay a price for that. And if you look at how that has played out in countries where, where they print uh, indiscriminately, to, to buy ourselves out of a jam, um, there is a price and that's called inflation. And inflation is, is complicated and it's difficult to, to escape when you're, when you're emitting um, such large amounts of, of money. Bitcoin, again, doesn't have this problem. So in terms of adoption, adoption will happen when people understand the value of having sound money. Um, and I don't think people in the first world understand what that means, right? You go buy a loaf of bread and it costs uh, three units or whatever. And then you come back the next year and it's six units. You know, that's 100% inflation. And it sounds crazy, but it happens in many countries around the world where you, you know, with capital controls even, and you, you still get a 
100%, 50% a year inflation. Um, and that's just unsustainable. Sure. So adoption, I, th I think, is, is the main challenge. Of course, governments are thinking about this, but you will see that there are projects in every single bank in the world. They have now a crypto desk, a crypto team thinking about it. We wasted a couple of years with the whole blockchain uh, sideshow. Every bank wanted to start their own cryptocurrency or their own crypto business. And um, now they're realizing that that was just a distraction. Uh, Bitcoin already exists and it works much better and it has much more um, uh, technology and support than, than anything they could produce internally. And it also something you produce internally inside a company is not as attractive as something that is open source, right? Open to anybody and free. And now you're starting to see government, government or central bank uh, cryptocurrencies using uh, all of these wonderful things that the Bitcoin technology offers, Bitcoin and others, of course. Uh, but those are not as interesting to me because they're still government issued tokens or, or money and they will behave under the monetary policy of, of each country or each central bank with their own logic and their own restrictions and rules. And ultimately, I think they would work for, for a while until, again, people start to realize that why would you want to use a government-issued token when you can use a free, open network, open source, global token that doesn't need uh, re any regulation, in fact, right? It's a person-to-person -person transaction where every transaction is the settlement of that transaction. There is no will pay you and then the banks will settle it in the background like you would do with Swift or anything else, right? Uh, th this is instant settlement of every transaction. Okay, well, what, what, what about then? So over the last number of months, I think uh, the Chinese government has come out I think the Hungarian government has come out and in the last 48 hours, maybe the Iranian government has come out. I, I don't know if they've banned it entirely, but they've certainly made, put some measures in place um, to sort of stop uh, crypto and maybe Bitcoin. You, you, you might know more about it than me, but it's very obvious, Rod, that in the last number of months, the Fed and the Bank of England and other central banks, they're certainly starting their pushback against crypto and Bitcoin in particular, and they're talking about the Bitcoin and their own form of, of digital currency. But from what you've said to me, you've pretty much said that this is unstoppable and it doesn't really matter what central banks do because this is far more appealing, right? And if, if, we're, if we agree on that, then my view is that there's a, there's a real sense of an anti-establishment move with crypto and Bitcoin. And that's one of the major attractions for investors, for retail investors, uh, is the fact that governments have nothing to do with it and they cannot control it. And my sense is that the more people who become aware of it and interested in it will take up that anti-establishment position. Is that something that you would agree with me on? Uh, yeah, Connor. look, it's true. Bitcoin is unstoppable. Uh, and it runs on its own track. However, again, and I'm not an anarchist. Uh, I, I believe in free open markets. And I think that Bitcoin is better money. It's a better technology and it should compete as a product, uh, as every other product in the world, right? Uh, Blockbuster went, went bankrupt because Netflix was a better solution. And I think something similar is gonna play out here. Bit, um, money should be a product and it should compete as a product, and if Bitcoin is better, then fantastic. It should be better. It, it should be adopted because it is better and it will displace all other solutions. Governments don't like this, of course. So what can they do? So what, what we have seen is that governments regulate the on-ramps and off-ramps from fiat money to, to crypto, meaning they will go to exchanges and banks and uh, and platforms where people can exchange fiat money to, uh, into crypto and the other way around. If you're holding crypto and you want to have uh, back into fiat, well, that's where the regulators are going to be looking and that's what they do. And these on-ramps are 
very much regulated, uh, more than banks, in fact. And, and the platforms take that very, very seriously. And now if you want to open an account at an exchange, you will see that they will, you will go through KYC, uh, you know, know your customer, anti-money anti laundering uh, processes uh, that are very rigorous. So you're forced to show a picture of your passport and prove your address um, and things like that. Even send a picture of yourself holding your passport with a handwritten note with today's date and, and so on. And, um, and governments will be regulating that. And I think it's the right thing to do, right? For, for financial institutions to, to know who they're dealing with and to stop any money that might be connected to crime and, and so on. Um, in the same way that governments try to regulate the use of cash, right? If, if you walk around the street with a million dollars in a suitcase and a policeman stops you, you're gonna have a problem explaining where that money came from, you're gonna find yourself in jail very quickly. So I'm not against any of that. But um, Bitcoin is indestructible, it's, it is unstoppable in the sense that even if the regulators go after banks and exchanges and, and start to look at how people start to sell their fiat money and, and, and buying crypto assets, um, once you have the crypto asset, you know, you and I can, can have a private conversation and decide that we're going to exchange services for money. And, and we can do that without anybody, um, without any third party. And I think that's also one of the big keys, right, for, for the crypto world, that there are no third parties involved. Bitcoin doesn't need a third party. And if you think about it, everything else in our lives for, from interactions, transactions, identity, travel, whatever, communications, information, everything else requires a third party, a trusted third party, somebody that's going to guarantee that the information that we're exchanging is solid. There's going to be a regulator making sure that one, one party doesn't take advantage of the other party. All of these, you know, Bitcoin makes all of that unnecessary because the database is, is bulletproof. We know for a fact that what is being written on the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, it is the state of the art. It's, it's um, you know, I don't know, without getting too technical, the database, it's a database where people can only add, right? The Bitcoin blockchain can only be written. written. It, nothing can be deleted. You cannot delete a transaction. You can only post a transaction. So uh, that makes it, a, it makes record keeping, this is the best record keeping machine we have ever invented. The impact that that will have on how we live our lives without trusted third parties is extraordinary. It's unique. It's a singular moment in history. And I know it sounds like I'm, you know, a Bitcoin poster child, but when you start thinking about what these concepts actually mean, um, you, you, you kind of get fascinated by the potential of this technology. So sure, the regulators are going to regulate, but at one point they're going to find out, they're gonna to come to the realization that there is a limit to what they can regulate with a technology like this. And you're right that many countries have banned Bitcoin, some have banned it. And then for instance, India last week said that they were going to reconsider their ban on Bitcoin and instead they were going to regulate it. So, and, and I think the next logical step after they regulate it is they'll regulate what they can and they will create um, their own alternatives like a government issued token. But eventually in the long run, for, for people, it will become um, redundant. Why would, again, why would you use the Bitcoin when you can use Bitcoin? Why would you use the art, the peso coin or the digital dollar uh, when you can use something that is completely capped, right? Not, not subject to inflation, not subject to confiscation. Imagine a central bank like the Federal Reserve issuing um, a dollar coin and then one day they decide that 
because I am uh, whatever, whatever characteristics, you know, a Latin American Jew who likes Bitcoin, who sounds, who spoke on money and plants, and I said something that somebody didn't like, they're going to confiscate or ban or delete my credits, right? My, my USD coins, you know, so Bitcoin is not subject to any of those things. It cannot, you know, units cannot be confiscated or deleted or, or my transactions cannot be blocked. And this opens up something that is, you know, I think it's fantastic is that Bitcoin is a neutral protocol, a neutral machine, a neutral environment. And if you think about it, the world is not a neutral place. And in fact, we have built our society in such a way because we know that the world is not neutral and the world cannot be trusted. If we left, left every, anyone and everyone to their own devices, the world would be very violent. And that's why we put together laws and um, sure. regulators and lawyers and accountants and, you know, because we need somebody to watch over us. Otherwise we would live, we would go back to, you know, our caveman days where we would hit each other with sticks over the head sure. to, to take food and women or whatever. Okay. And now Bitcoin, because it, it's, a, it's a neutral machine, it synchronizes information to a degree unimaginable, unimaginable only 10 years ago. Um, it changes the rules of the game. The fundamental rules of the game uh, can be changed. Or from a technological point of view, they have changed already. Um, as people realize this, I think suddenly one day we will wake up and we will be in a hyper Bitcoinized world. Bitcoin or Ethereum or maybe, or maybe others. But, but I speak about Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin still has the strongest and, and most uh, stable um, network. Okay. Well, Rod, look, some amazing information there. And what I would really, really like to do uh, with yourself is you did say to me that there are a number of pillars within the new technology and, and you're really keen that people take the time, maybe an hour to understand, I think you said eight pillars. And what I would love to do is, is actually speak to you again soon about those eight pillars. We'll set aside the time and talk about that and try and educate people around that, inform them, educate and maybe inspire people because that's the whole idea of the podcast. But to close, right, I, I try and keep the podcast about half an hour and to close over the next three or four minutes, I just wanted to ask you, um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, uh, two of the most well-known investors in the world, they, they, they detest Bitcoin and crypto and they've just no time for it. Um, and they're very strong in their condemnation of it. You have got Elon Musk, who has come out in the last 12 months, and he might be a good thing for Bitcoin. He could be a bad thing for Bitcoin, but he is very controversial, regardless of what your view on him might be. And then there is a guy who I've been following for 20 odd years. It was the first book I read uh, in relation to money, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. And Robert Kiyosaki is a, is, a, is a Bitcoin and a crypto enthusiast. He is talking a lot of your language. This guy understands money. And I only came across his stuff on Sunday about Bitcoin. I didn't know that he was an enthusiastic follower and, and, and advising his network to invest in it. And that, that really did give me food for thought. What I wanted to ask you was, in relation to Mr. Musk, some people are saying that he is now the sort of unappointed central banker of Bitcoin and crypto. What's your view on, on Musk and, and, and how, I suppose, what challenges does someone like him bring to Bitcoin? Because whenever he tweets, this stock can fall 10, 20%. Surely that's not a good thing, Rod. Well, definitely not. Listen, so you, you touched on a bunch of different topics. The first one is I would be delighted to come back to your podcast anytime. I'm always happy to talk about Bitcoin. And you're right. People Need, the most important thing is education. Um, people need to understand why this is important. In terms of, um, as far as Charlie Munger and, uh, and Warren Buffett, I think they're dinosaurs. And eventually also, if they took some time to think about why this is important, I think they'll come around and we should give them a little bit more time to sort this out. And uh, even the dinosaurs, 
you know, they will face extinction or they'll come around. In terms of big luminaries like, like um, Elon Musk, um, you know, he's one of the richest men in the world, clearly super, super bright and successful in everything he's done. I think he's, he, he carries a lot of weight, but listen to this, the fact that he invested, I think a billion five, right? 1.5 billion in Bitcoin from the Tesla treasury says, explains a lot, right? He's trusting billion, more than a billion dollars of his company money. And this is not, you know, we don't know how much he invested from his own personal fortune, which I suspect, and some people estimate that he bought at least 5 billion, but who knows? Um, that speaks volumes, number one. Number two, I think he, he's going through every stage that Bitcoiners have already gone through during the last 10 years. In other words, he's thinking, well, maybe Bitcoin is great. Why don't we use the technology for some and make something else that might be faster, better and, and cheaper? And, and he picked Dogecoin, which is bullshit uh, because it has unlimited supply, whatever. It doesn't meet the, the requirements and the correct characteristics that make Bitcoin unique. So Doge is not that interesting. And he's going through every stage, every phase that Bitcoiners have faced along the way is Bitcoin the best? Could, could there be something better? Sure. Is Bitcoin slow and it could be faster? Sure. We want to make it faster and cheaper. And, but in the end, I think even Elon will, will come around. He tweeted, he tweeted that, uh, you know, first he tweeted that Tesla would accept Bitcoin uh, in order for people to, to buy cars as, as a means for payment. And, and Bitcoiners were delighted and they took it as great news. And then a few months later, he said, you know what? Uh, Bitcoin consumes too much electricity and uh, that's a problem for me. So we're not going to accept Bitcoin anymore. You know, that sounds like a capricious thing. And again, I don't think he did his homework as far as how much electricity Bitcoin consumes and, and, and where that electricity comes from and what, what value it brings to the network and to the monetary system. So again, all of these things, I think, warrant a conversation. And it is true that someone like, like Elon, who has 50 million followers on Twitter, um, who are, who are uh, some are fans of, of Bitcoin, you know, traders will react to news very quickly. And uh, anything that sounds like bad news, they will sell. However, it doesn't change all, all of the fundamental aspects of, the, of this innovation. And uh, I believe that, that these dips, these, these um, collapses of the price will be short-lived. Um, you know, the Bitcoin liquidity, you know, if you want to buy a Bitcoin today, you have to take it from someone who's willing to sell it to you. Um, and the price today is around $40,000. It was about 63, 64 a few months ago at the, at the high. I believe that it's going to go much higher. If you think about the number of units available, if every millionaire in the world wanted to own one Bitcoin, there, there wouldn't be enough uh, for every millionaire in the world, right? So I think there's going to be a, the supply and demand aspect of, of any asset are going to play out incredibly well for a scarce asset like Bitcoin, a limited supply asset like Bitcoin. There's going to be a supply shock. And um, eventually, Bitcoin's got, in terms of fiat, measured in fiat money, it's going to go much higher, regardless of what Elon says. Um, you know, I, last week we had a like you said a, a big collapse on the price it collapsed 50 percent it went from 50, from 40 I'm sorry the top was 63,000 it went down to to 29 so it's a huge collapse but it only lasted for for um, for a couple of weeks and it's going to resume its way higher um, I don't think anybody can stop it and it, the, the the reason for the collapse was multi had multiple causes. The, the Elon said that the Chinese are banning Bitcoin again. Some technical analysts were seeing a pullback after the big run up. 
but all of these things, I mean, if you look at the fundamental aspects of the things that we talked about, why Bitcoin is important, these things are only temporary. Okay. Well, look, Rod, that's a, that's a good way to uh, end this uh, conversation. And we're really going to take you up on the next conversation um, because this is fascinating. Uh, you really understand all of this. I, I can tell you that, that most people I talk to, I talk to a lot of economists. Um, I talk to a lot of people about money and finance, this part of the world, and they just don't understand any of this. Um, my sense, and I hope I'm quite intuitive, is that people are going to become more interested in all of what we're talking about. It's been a real pleasure, Rod, to have someone of your stature uh, talking to me and, and, and my listeners on Money and Plants. And I just want to really thank you for that. And I, I hope you have a brilliant conference in Miami next week, my friend. Thank you for having me, Connor. I'm, I'm delighted to talk about crypto. I wish, you know, I wish the first time I sent my first email in 1992. I did it in a, uni in a university environment and there was a room filled with machines. And the person that was showing me how to send the email, um, you know, was completely besides himself, so happy and excited about what he was showing me. And from what I was seeing, it looked completely superficial, right? Superfluous. He was just sending, he said hello on a computer terminal. And he was showing me how this message went halfway around the world. And then an hour later, somebody wrote back. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, man. I have a fax machine at home and uh, it's instantaneous and I can make drawings and, and it's just a phone call. And what is, this doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I wish that person had sat me down and showed me and explained to me why that message had the potential to change the world. Of course, 30 years later, everything we do is based on that technology, right? We're communicating now through through, you know, digitally or halfway around the world. And we entertain ourselves online and streaming and emails. And today it's, it's normal. I'm telling you the same type of excitement you will hear from people in the Bitcoin community. It's the same, it's the same thing. So I'm happy to tell people about it because I believe that in the same way that the email technology changed the world, this has the same the same vibe and it's going that was a fascinating super conversation i hope you're still with me on money and plans that was a conversation between myself and rodrigo benadon the founder of moonquant capital go and check them out uh really really interesting stuff you know I've had a look at Rod, I've had a look at his company. He is the real deal, um, super intelligent guy, and he has been working in this space for nine years. I don't know anybody uh, I could speak to in the world right now uh, of Rod's background and experience. Um, there's a number of people in Ireland and the UK who are invested and have knowledge around Bitcoin and crypto, but you know that was a real treat for the Money and Plant listeners. Uh, Rod is one of the top guys in South America and such a pleasure. Thanks to Nick for introducing me to Rod. And, and the good news is he's going to be back on the podcast because I, I, I know enough and I'm interested enough now. I really want to lift the bonnet on this. My intuition tells me that, you know, a lot of what Rod was saying is has got a really good chance of playing out over the next number of years. And I suppose to, to give it a little bit of context, as I said to you before, I spoke to Nick Leeson about this on the 1st of May. He was very skeptical of crypto and Bitcoin, and I thought it was only fair. Uh, I got a lot of pushback on, on Twitter, actually, from, from Bitcoin enthusiasts to say, well, you know, that these guys don't really know what you're talking about. Um, and that's why I got someone on the podcast to balance that up and, and show the other perspective. And some of the things Rod was saying around crypto, and particularly he describes Bitcoin as the king of crypto, you know, that it is the world's most secure database. Nobody owns Bitcoin. This this is one of the things that I actually think will drive this because if you're like me, you know, I don't trust I don't trust banks, I don't trust governments, financial institutions. I think I think they control um, lots of things. And whenever the shit hits the fan, like the 2008 crash, we have a financial crisis and and it wipes out people, it wipes out businesses, it, it destroys the the money supply. And and it's one of probably the primary reasons around why this new technology has has come along. And I just thought it was really interesting. So much of that conversation 
with Rod was so interesting because he, he really does get do a deep dive on Bitcoin and he sets out some of the fundamental reasons why he believes that regardless of, of what anyone does around crypto, trying to regulate it, trying to stop it, I think he said it's totally unstoppable at least five times in that conversation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to Rod again, um, hopefully over the summer. Uh, we're going to try and zone in and shine a spotlight on the pillars of Bitcoin and why try and figure out why, it, why is it so special? Why is this so special? Because I think it warrants an hour of your time and my time if the half of what Rod says plays out in the next five to ten years then this is something worth your attention and it's certainly worth my attention. Look, I just want to shout out for the Money Clinic this week. I posted on GDP Partnerships LinkedIn page. I do a Money Clinic. It's 10 minutes where me and Nick Leeson talk about the markets, the economy, sometimes football even. So if you like this podcast, if you like listening to this kind of subject matter, you probably will enjoy the Money Clinic over on LinkedIn. Look, that was another super episode what I want you to do now, if you do me a favor, give me some feedback on this. Let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know what questions you have around Bitcoin and crypto. You can send me an email at connor at connordivine.com. You can find me on Twitter at connor underscore divine. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. That's it. Look, it looks as if it's going to be a great weekend this weekend. Look after yourselves and each other. Shake it real fast, you get a little